This week on the Physio Foundations podcast, I'm talking to physiotherapist Dimitri Damos from Perth, Western Australia, about career development and mentoring. Welcome back to the Physio Foundations podcast, where we talk about the knowledge and skills that provide the foundation of expert clinical practice. So today, I'm going to have a conversation with relatively newly graduated physiotherapist. I almost said new grad physiotherapist, but she's been out for two years, so bordering on the getting out of the new grad phase. Um, Dimitri Damos. Uh, so Dimitri was um, my mentee. Um, in 2023 for the Australian Physiotherapy Association's mentoring program. And we met monthly throughout last year. And this is going to air in 2024. That's why I said last year, but um, we're not quite there yet. And it was, it really was a pleasure to work with Dimmy throughout the year and see her develop during that time. Um, and we really had some great conversations. And I thought that rather than end the mentoring program at the end of 2023 and say, see you later. I thought we could keep in contact and it would be really useful to do a podcast episode and share some of the conversations we had with you. Um, this is particularly good for a new grad practitioner or a student, but if you're more experienced and you're working with or mentoring practitioners yourself, you'll probably find something good in here as well. So hang on for the ride. Let's bring her on. Dimitri Damos. I said it wrong again. Dimitri Damos. Welcome to Physio Foundations. (laughs) Thanks, Luke. I've said your name a thousand times in my head, but I've never said it out loud. Yeah. I'll call you Dimmy anyway. Mm -hmm. Let's go with Dimmy. How are you? Yeah, good, thanks. How are you? (laughs) Things are falling to pieces at the end of the year. So this is going to air early 2024, and we've had a year together mentoring and doing the mentor-mentee relationship thing, but we've never met in person. You're in Perth, Western Australia. I'm in Melbourne, Victoria, Australia. So let's take everyone through some of the conversations we've had. So um, why don't we start with your background and interests? Um, so you're, I've already said you're a physiotherapist. What first got you interested in physiotherapy? When did you study? Where did you study? Take us through your background. Yeah, well, I've always been really, really interested in healthcare. Uh, I've been interested in that since year seven. Um, And I think what really drew me to healthcare was my experience um, with doctors, both with GPs and specialists um, for a few medical issues. And throughout my schooling, always wanted to go into the medical field or something in healthcare. Um, and originally really wanted to do medicine and didn't get in. And so I, in my other selection criteria had, um, physio down, I had pharmacy down, um, and a few other sectors down in healthcare. Um, but I think what really drew me to physio was the, um, similarity to med. It was the whole thing where you can take a patient in, you're receiving a um, context of them, you can assess them, you can investigate, you can diagnose, and then you can treat them. And there's so much scope in physio, and I really liked that variety. Um, so I graduated from school in 2017, went into first year of physio in 2018, graduated 2021, so it was a four-year degree, um, and I studied at Notre Dame University in Perth. So there's two universities in Perth that you can study physio at. Um, so that's Curtin and Notre Dame, and had a great time at Notre Dame, um, 
And then really in second year, I did my gender health unit and mainly that was in pelvic health um, and then ended up doing my first placement that year at King Edward Memorial Hospital, which is our pelvic health, our women's health physio, sorry, women's health hospital um, in Perth. And I really enjoyed my placement there. And that's when I realized that pelvic health was for me and it was an area of interest to me. Mm. Often I'm hearing the story of somebody getting their first exposure and interest to what becomes their special interest area and maybe their main career direction from a clinical placement. So you must have had a good experience there and yeah. done really well with it. So that makes a difference as well. What was it about that then that drew you to that area, that field? Yeah, so I had a really great um, lecturer in my gender health unit. Her name was Nadia Norrish and she um, was just so, so enthusiastic. And the way she taught the unit, I think, made a big difference as well. Um, but I can't really pinpoint exactly what it was, but I just found the whole pelvic anatomy um, and the issues associated with women and the fact that so many people don't know about it and it's such a private issue as well. And I I guess I found it as a bit of a challenge and so quite liked the idea of going into that area and helping people in a way that they wouldn't know is possible. Um, and, yeah, being part of that sort of team of people treating such a specific area and specific issues. Mm. Yeah, so a real opportunity to help people mm. and also the complexity and the challenge of it sort of drew you to it first. But, yeah, it's an, such an under-recognised area, although things are changing rapidly with Jody Dakick's research and her research group. Jody, I've mentioned, she's been on the podcast before. She's come up in many of our mentoring conversations. Um, just graduated from her PhD. So she was looking at um, physical activity and incontinence in women in sport. So, the, I mean, there's, it's a growing, it was previously very under-recognized area, but now there's more and more opportunities clinically and in research. So, yeah, well, that's a really clear story. I mean, sometimes people don't have the, the, the clearest idea of where they're going in the student years and in the new grad years, but um, you certainly have been able to articulate that really well. So tell us a bit more about your master's training. Yeah, so um, I started my master's in pelvic health and continence this year um, and I'm due to complete it end of 2024. So over two years I'm doing it part-time, so that's two units per semester um, and, yeah, really, really enjoying it. This year we've done, well, I've selected to do um, research. So we did a research project um, and then that was a whole um, sort of, yeah, area there. And then I did my pelvic floor muscle rehab unit, which is where I learnt mainly that was um, lots of theory, of course, but internal vaginal exams and being able to use dilator therapy. Um, and then a pain unit as well. And the next year will be my clinical placement and two other, um, pelvic health, um, content units. Um, so yeah, it's been great studying and working at the same time. It's almost given me that little extra 
motivation I think that I needed after one year out I was sort of a little bit lost at the end of last year and I was like oh I feel like I need something else to do and so it's been great it's given me that extra thing to do and extra thing in my little life to work on well there's the first sign of normality in the conversation you are a high achiever and that's why I wanted to bring you on um you you've just said you felt a bit lost at the end of your first year of of working which yeah. almost everyone I've spoken to uh, <laughs> has um said or, or could relate to in some way so um so then working part-time and studying part-time is a really good balance for you that was one of my questions how do you how do you um manage or balance the the, yeah. the work and study. Yeah. So I actually work full-time and study part-time, but that's a choice. And I know not many people will do that. There are a few that I know. Um, sometimes I am working a little bit over full-time. So I work between 40 and 50 hours a week. Um, but I work much, very well under pressure. And I am someone who really thrives the busier I am. Obviously, I know my limits, but um, yeah, I almost get a kick out of being able to work and study and sort of um, the, it it motivates me more. I'm more under time pressure and so you have to be more organised and I guess it, it's been really good because I really work well under structure and scheduling and I can really schedule in study and work and it's... I've got a nice routine going and I still fit in exercise, socializing, house chores, all the rest of it. Um, but yeah, it, you do get a bit tired, I guess, but otherwise I, yeah, the more I'm doing, the more energetic I am, I think. So yeah. yeah. Have you always been like that? Have you always thrived under that pressure? And yeah. 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 How, how do you go on holidays then? Does it take you four weeks to relax and then well, you, yeah. maybe four days? Yeah. And then- well, the holidays are usually very jam-packed themselves. So yeah, of course. <laughs> I probably, yeah, need to um, change that a bit because I definitely come back and I'm like, I don't know if I feel that refreshed. I don't know if I feel that different, but it was a great holiday. I um, mentioned – oh, sorry, go on. No, 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 I'm all done. All good. I, I mentioned um, Jody before and Susanna's obviously coming back soon to do some co-hosting of the podcast. She's just submitted her PhD, everyone. Hooray. Um, they're both people who have said – before on pod, previous podcast episodes that they thrive under pressure. They actually kind of enjoy it. This is in a sports physio context of having people watching, having a game going on. Um, in Jody's case, having to go onto center court with millions of people watching and tape an ankle in under 60 seconds or whatever she had to do. Um, it's a personality thing as well. You, you sort of self-select for, for enjoying that, don't you? Do you think... Do you think that, that, is that right? Is it, it's not for everyone to sort of thrive under pressure? Are there different fields of, of clinical work or work in general for different personalities? Yeah, definitely, definitely. And whenever I talk to someone and they, um, obviously, you know, a lot of people are very ready to judge and um, look at the negatives of whatever someone is doing. Um, not everyone, but, you know, sometimes in this day and age. Um, and yeah, I definitely think, you know, we're all running our own race. We're all on our own journey and no one's journey is going to be exactly the same. And so, you know, with that in mind, you can't compare yourself to someone else because yeah. they're on a different story. Um, and, yeah, so it's definitely not for everyone. 
you know, someone else's journey wouldn't be right for me. What I'm doing wouldn't be right for someone else. It might be similar to some people, um, but yeah, definitely with different um, clinical interests, um, depending on your personality. I know some people at lunchtime, they'll be like laughing their heads off when I'm talking about you know, pelvic floor exercises. And I'll be like, oh, no, you've got to be so serious with the patients. You know, you've got to be um, really professional and, you know, you can't, not that you can't drop a laugh, but yeah, it's quite a personal issue. Um, So, and that's with any clinical area like neuro or if you're going cardio resp, um, you need to have certain skills, both clinically and um, personality and professionally wise as well. Um, which is I imagine really- you bring your personality that everyone's hearing now into your, I don't, I can't imagine you changing when you're working with yeah. patients. I can imagine a lot of laughs coming out of the treatment area or the, or the, where you're working, doing exercise or whatever you're doing. Is that? Yeah, completely. That true? Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, completely. So that's important. It's yeah. not just something you're doing because you're nervous and, and, and you, uh, some immaturity there or something that is a part, yeah. actual part of the development of rapport and working with this person. So yeah, completely. Mm. Let's go back to your special interest area, pelvic health. And so I, I had a question that I, I didn't get to before mm-hmm. um, when you're studying your masters and you do, um, so you learn internal examinations, um, for example, and you learn other techniques that aren't in the scope of practice of a, uh, new grad physio, you need post-grad qualifications for, do you start, do you have to wait till you get your bit of paper and you're qualified before you use those skills in the clinic? Or do you, um, is it something that you start integrating into the clinic as you go? Yeah. So you definitely can integrate it into the clinic as you go. Um, so once, so with our internal vaginal exam, we were examined practically, um, And once you passed that exam, you were basically, they said, you can start using this if you're comfortable in clinic. And they encouraged it. They said, look, you should um, do it. It's, um, you know, this is how you're going to learn. If your clinic required a um, piece of paper, then the lecturer for the unit um, then wrote a letter saying she's passed X, Y, Z and is competent in this area. Yeah. And I'd imagine that you'd have um, women who see you and have so much relief that they can finally tell you things and they mm. can find out information. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, cause you mentioned earlier that sometimes they're keeping all of this to themselves, which is understandable. Yeah. Um, and so you, you build um, pretty close rapport with patients as well and yeah. through being able to help them in a way that others can't. So is, is that, is that a good summary and is that rewarding? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Very good summary um, and very rewarding. Yeah, yeah. It's great. Yeah. So um, this at least gives the, us, it gives me and the listener uh, an idea of someone who's, you're only two years out of university, mm-hmm. um, you're doing a master's part-time, mm-hmm. um, working full-time in a bit as well, yeah. um, and and you're developing a special interest area, something that you're known mm-hmm. for. Um, do you have any other interest areas in musculoskeletal or, mm. or sports or, or, tell, or tell us the listeners a bit more about the other types of patients that you see in the clinic. Yeah, sure. So I work across three different hospitals in Perth. So I worked, I was at a private practice, but in the last few months changed to a private hospital. So that's my pelvic health work. That's during the week. And I work there um, 
a sort of Monday to Thursday. Um, and I, that's sort of like 36 hours there. Um, so at just under full time and it's, um, I'm on the Eurogyne ward, maternity ward. I also see patients clinically. So your obstetric and gynecology patients, I cover some hydrotherapy and then I'll also do some like clinical reformer Pilates sometimes. Um, so that's sort of the scope. So I get inpatient and your clinic work, um, Previously in the private practice I was at for two years, um, that was a range of musculoskeletal NDIS, pelvic health, um, and a little bit of respiratory as well. Um, the other two hospitals I work at are in the government that is not pelvic health related. And the reason why I do that work is to actually keep my doors open. Because um, even though I'm doing this pelvic health master's, I don't want to get stuck in pelvic health and I am very quite fresh still out of uni and I don't want to lose my other skills. So I work at a um, rehab hospital called Bentley um, and that's mainly your um, geriatric population, some young as well. Um, and that's when they need a bit more um, of the rehab side of things. And then I work at one of our big tertiary hospitals, Royal Perth Hospital. Royal Perth and Bentley come under the same branch. So I work for East Metro Health Service and those two hospitals come under that. And at Royal Perth, that's your higher acuity medical stuff. Um, so, you know, you've got your spinal orthopedics, neurovascular, um, you've got your medical wards. Um, there's also, of course, trauma, ICU, CCU. I'm not really in those wards though, because they require further respiratory training. And I'm only there as leave relief, um, on Fridays while I'm on break, because Fridays are usually my uni days. Um, so yeah, I see a range of patients and it keeps me on my toes and I guess it keeps my skills very fresh. And, um, I like to say I'm a little bit of a jack of all trades in a way, um, keeping everything just up, just keeping everything, keeping my foot in all doors. So mm. I'm not shutting anything. Yeah. Mm. And that the, the reason for that is it's not just to keep the doors open and, and to yeah. keep things fresh. There's so many skills and, mm. um, and, and so much knowledge that you'll get from all those diverse areas that you'll bring into your specialty practice is that, as that evolves. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Um, so let's, let's talk about the student listening to this, who's thinking, wow, Dimmy's only two years out of university. Here I am doing my third year placements or first year physio, whatever I'm doing. Let's talk to that, uh, that student and think, uh, let's talk about some of the tips you have for managing their time, how to study effectively, how do they get from where they are to where you are? You've already given us one really good tip, which was being highly organized and, and, um, and, you know, just self-selecting to a, um, you know, a, a bunch of activities that you enjoy as well. But, but, but let's talk to students. How did you get through successfully? I'm, I'm assuming you did pretty well when you're in university. You certainly enjoyed it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Did all yeah. right. What are your tips for students? Mm -hmm. So I think definitely ask lots of questions, um, ask lots of questions in class. Don't be scared to, um, really, really important. Keep on top of lectures and your lab requirements. That's so, so important because when you're studying for exams and they make it more clinically based, you need to have a good understanding of what has been taught throughout the year and it's not going to 
be a lot, you know, a night last minute sort of cram, that's going to be really hard to get you through. Some people work really well in that, but I'd yeah recommend that you try and keep on top of your classes as much as you can so that you can actually use study week effectively and not use it to catch up on notes or um, lectures and you can actually use it to do productive study. Um, I feel definitely like the gap between end of fourth year or end of the degree, however long it takes, and um, your first job and your first year out is quite a big jump. Um, Mm. I don't know if that's just a Perth thing or if that's across um, Oz, but yeah, I think it's across the world. That's it's the world. just a universal thing. It's the, yeah. the jump from university to, yeah. to to the working life is is a big one. Yeah. So it's definitely quite a big gap and um you feel like you don't really know much. Um and it's yeah, definitely feel like you're a bit of a cop out. Um but I think if you just really break it down, keep an open mind, look at the case in front of you, think, okay, well, I've got a hip in front of me, I think it's this, let's rule out. And when you're first starting out, if you need to do all the hip assessments, which I still do anyway, sometimes when, you know, you're not really sure and you're like, well, I'm just going to assess everything and let's see what we come up with as positive, Um, then if you can break it down and find what's positive and then Go and look at your books, um, see what you can find. Um, but having a mentor as well is really, really important, having a good mentor. And sometimes everyone, you know, you'd hope that at your workplace you're going to have that, but it's not always the case. And that's what I found in some of my jobs, that the mentorship wasn't great. And for so many different reasons, if that was just they were so busy with running, um, that one of their businesses or if they, if it wasn't their sort of scope, if their specialty was in something different. And yeah, so it's been, yeah, very nice having you as a mentor for Musk. <laughs> oh, it's been, it, I've really enjoyed the conversations. Let's do mentoring then. I, yeah. I was going to ha- have some follow-up questions about tips for studying, but we've got so much of that on previous episodes and you summarize that really nicely, really just keep on top of it, ask lots of questions and think about the most important mm. The most important theory that you'll apply to each clinical case. What's the most important thing? Day one, total hip replacement. The person needs to get out of bed safely. There we go. Remember that. <laughs> so, there's so many tips in previous episodes we could go back to. Let's do mentoring. So we had a series of mentoring conversations remotely. We've never met yeah. in person. That'll happen at the the, the next Australian Physio Association <laughs> conference. Actually, that's in Perth. Yes. So there you go. That's probably yeah. where we'll meet in person. Um, and so. Let's let's talk about the process. So what what did you at that stage, what did you want to get out of mentoring? Yeah, so I had quite a bit of a must caseload in my previous job. Um, well, when I say it was mainly pelvic health, but then I was getting quite a bit of musk through and I wasn't really getting a huge amount of mentoring in that area. Um and the physio I was going to for help was quite vague and about cases. So I knew that I needed to look at someone else. So then I found that APA was doing this mentoring and I was like, great. Um, and I was getting, you know, all different types of musk, um, spinal musk. I was getting um, also your peripheral musk, lower limb and upper limb, mainly lower limb. Um, 
And these cases were mainly presenting outside of my pelvic health case. So had the usual common musculoskeletal issues in pelvic health, which I felt pretty comfortable managing, but this was more, um, really more your musky sportsy type um, physio, which I definitely was like, this isn't a comfort zone for me and definitely going out of my comfort zone. Um, but I wanted to expand and yeah, do well in it. Did you have a, um, a mentor when you were a student? No, I just went to my lecturers and tutors. Um, but yeah, Musk was always a weak spot for me. Um, definitely where I sort of performed lowest in the degree. <laughs> yeah. So um, definitely always found it a bit more on the difficult side. But I, um, yeah, would just ask lecturers or my tutors for help. And yeah, that's how I sort of just got through it and learned. And also through like friends and, you know, the people who you study with. Mm. Yeah. It's interesting because all the discussions I had with you about Musk related cases, mm-hmm. um, it, it struck me that you were very thorough. And you had a focus on not just on the the problem at hand, but the whole person. You had a very good idea of the people's um, psychological state, psychosocial status, where what their goals were. You had a very thorough approach to red flags um, and screening of medical potential medical um, problems, comorbidities. So all all of this just off the top of my head, I can remember you being very thorough as you worked through these cases anonymously and we were talking about various cases. I wonder if your feeling of being unprepared or not being good at mask when you're in university led to that that thoroughness and, and you thought, well, hang on, I need to get I need to get better at this. Yeah, definitely, definitely. And I definitely work like that. So when I'm not yeah. that great at something or it's a weakness, I'll definitely work extra hard to try and get myself up to that level that I think I should be at and, you know, clinically and to be professional. Yeah. And there's a lesson in that. Mm-hmm. It, it, there's certainly at any point in time, if the, if there's an area that you feel is a weakness, that's just at that point in time and yeah. you can use it for motivation or you can say, well, I'm not good at that and, and carry that forward. Yeah. We're going to talk about some cases in the next episode. We're going to have a part two. I'm going to come back and have a chat about um, just that what, what I really want to talk about there is the complex clinical reasoning, complex cases, difficult conversations, and how you manage those as a new grad physio. And you mentioned sometimes you feel a bit unprepared. What, what did you say at the end of your first year? You felt um, like you, you felt like you were, I can't remember your exact words, but you, you no, felt a bit, a bit under, underprepared. Um, yes, yes. In that state of mind, you still have the complex people coming in. They, they still need help. They're coming to yeah. see you. They don't know re- they really how old and how you are and how many years of experience you have. Maybe they do, but they come in there to them. You're a physiotherapist and they have complex health problems. How do you navigate that as a new grad physio? is my next series of questions for you. Because I think you did a really good job. I think there's something for people to reflect on there in your process, but let's come back to that. What about if we finish this episode off with the general question I ask everyone, what do you think are the most important foundational knowledge and skills for a physio? Yeah. Um, I think that's such an interesting question. I, um, definitely think, um, clinical reasoning is really important. Um, knowing all of your 
um, basic assessments are really, really important. So if you're, if you come in, someone comes in with a shoulder, you need to know um, what you're going, what you can assess first. Um, so just as long as you've got a structure in your head, having a structure in your head is really important. Um, having a very that's, good subjective. I'm just going to jump yeah. in there because that's yeah. important. And I've noticed that you do that well. What mm. do you mean by having a structure? Mm. So I think like with your subjective, for example, having a set of questions and having a little routine, obviously you don't you want flexibility when you're with a patient, but having a structure of what questions you're going to ask is so important. And it means that you're able to be a bit calmer in the session. And even if you'd like, oh, I don't really know what's going on, you yeah. can actually just ask those questions and then you can nut it out a bit, do an assessment and then do some sort of treatment, whatever it is, do whatever you think is required. And then you can, as long as you can get through that first session, then you can go off and look it up and then come back. So mm. yeah. You're less likely to miss things. If you yeah. certainly, if you have a, a set, set of questions and mm. physical examination. What about the, how do you approach the physical examination um, yeah. as a new grad when you're thinking, oh, wow, it's been a while. And I've, yes. I, I, don't, I think this is the first time I've seen someone with hip pain on my own in the clinic. Yeah. So how do you pr approach that? Yeah. So I'd always do a postural observation, um, active range of motion. Sometimes you do a passive range of motion and then um, you can do a bit of a hip clearance as well. Um, so if you're not um, if you're like, oh, actually, I actually have no idea. If you just do some sort of assessment, even if it's just a postural observation, active range of motion, um, do a functional assessment, like you get them to squat, you can get them to hop, you could um, get them to do some of those sort of things. Um, do some of your specific testing, if you can remember, um, you could even do like an active straight leg raise, um, clear neuro, if you think that's required. Um a pelvic girdle if you can remember but just do whatever you can remember um and then come back to it um later just as long as you've got something down then that sort of is enough to clinically reason sometimes mm. and of course the interventions the treatments you do mm. will be based on the problem mm -hmm. list and the things you've found but what are some of the most common tools in your tool bag yeah as a as physiotherapist to help people yeah so in the first session um, majority of the time I will do some sort of manual treatment, um, even if it's just like five or 10 minutes. Um, usually that is required for so many different reasons. Um, and I'll always try and give them one or two exercises as well. Obviously that's, um, evidence-based. Um, and depending on the patient, if there's someone who's quite psychosocially complex and, um, has a lot going on um, outside, then sometimes those first few sessions you're just doing manual treatment. And that is indicated because of what's going on around them. So it's not actually appropriate to go into your evidence-based practice and using the traffic light system of green, orange and red, you stay in orange for a little while, sometimes a while, and then you go, you try and sort of phase into green as appropriate. So tell us about the traffic light system. Mm -hmm. So green is um, all your evidence-based stuff. Orange is like, oh, there's a little bit of evidence. Um, it's not dangerous. I guess you're not going to do harm to the patient, but you're not necessarily going to do good for the patient. So sort of that middle sort of, yeah, could do. So th this could, could be massage and, mm. and other yeah. feel-good techniques that we, we know yeah. don't have strong evidence, but this person yeah. is in, in the period where they're gaining trust with you. 
Yeah. There's the, the other non-specific benefits of having your hands on the person and gaining their rapport and trust mm. while you're doing that education and that ongoing assessment and you're working your way mm-hmm. towards what they ultimately need for their goal. If their goal is to get upstairs into their house and they're lacking right. strength and they're pain in their knees, you can work on that. Um, and so, and so, there's so much out there. There's so much um, discussion of these topics without the nuance and without the context of what the person's actually doing. So someone hears yeah. Dimmy saying, well, I do manual therapy and some massage with people. It's in the context of a broader assessment and a long-term plan with yeah. that person. So completely, yeah. And you've got that traffic light system for thinking about, you know, the, the evidence yeah. that's interesting. I, I was thinking traffic light systems in terms of when people are safe, good to go, <laughs> you're cleared, return yeah. to sport, Amber, we're still working on your strength and, or your stability, whatever it is, and red is your red flags and interventions are needed and yeah, weight bearing restrictions, whatever they are. But that's yeah, a different traffic light system. So that's really good. That's a really nice uh, way to lead into the next episode. I'm going to talk about some more specific clinical care and and it's really good to get it from you rather than always. It's great to get experts on. I've had some really nice experts on the podcast and you meet them at conferences and there's so many different episodes and. Um, social media posts out there from experts. You can learn so much from them, but I do think it's good to give new grads and students mm-hmm. a voice as well and, and talk to other new grads and students and everyone else and think about what your processes are. It seems to me your your big process there is, you know, in terms of the most important knowledge and skills for a new grad is to not miss things and be thorough, mm-hmm. have a thorough routine and then develop a, a plan based yeah. on not just freestyling it every time. Mm-hmm. Is that a fair summary? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah you're definitely someone who's really organised with their their thoughts and the clinical reasoning. So we'll dive into that in some examples in the next episode. Yeah. Everyone stay tuned for that. But thanks, mm-hmm. Dimmy. Really good conversation and um, really good to introduce you to the audience and of the podcast and, you know, and share some of our conversations publicly. Really good. So thanks very much for all your input. No, that's all right. Thanks for having me. <laughs> So until next time, this is Dimitri or Dimmy and Luke wishing you all the very best with your studying, professional development and lifelong learning. 